Today we're continuing in our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. This is something that we just kicked off two weeks ago. And as we kicked this off two weeks ago, uh, now we're coming to the fruit of the Spirit of joy. And this is the second fruit of the Spirit in uh, Galatians 5, uh, 22. And as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, just in general, the fruit of the Spirit is, is a reality of our lives because of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. If you look at Romans 6, you see this wonderful promise that because Jesus defeated death, there's newness of life. And so the fruit of the Spirit is, has to do with and is a description of that newness of life. And so as we think about joy today, we're thinking about joy biblically. We're not thinking about joy in the ways that the, the world thinks about it. Because if you look to the world for guidance on joy, you'll hear advice. Some very practical and helpful advice too. But you'll hear advice like declutter. Keep things that make you joyful. You'll hear advice like be like the Danes. You'll hear other advice as well. But the lesson of Scripture is that if you want to have joy, look to Jesus. And that's what we're going to be doing today, I hope. So let's look to Scripture. Uh, we have two Scripture passages. Uh, first is going to be from Galatians 4.15. This is from the New Living Translation. And the second is going to be Philippians 4.4-7, 4 which is from the English Standard Version. Uh, it's a different tra- translation. But I'm pointing this out to you because even as we look at these two verses, you're going to see the word joyful come up, come up. But in Galatians, the word for joyful actually has to do with that word blessing that you learn about in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. And then you're going to see a different word actually in Philippians and so, but Paul's questions to Galatians is where we really want to anchor ourselves. So this is what Paul asks to the Galatian church. Galatians four fifteen. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Secondly, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that your spirit would be working in our hearts through your word, that we would become more like you, but also that we would see you, that we would delight in you, that we would know your beauty and your love, and that you would make us more like yourself that you would make us more joyful because you are the God of joy. In Christ's name I pray, amen. My friend Joel has a unique story. It is a story of how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And part of his story is actually when he heard the gospel and when he came to faith in Jesus. 
He did not come to faith through a campus ministry. He did not come to faith by going to a church. He came to faith by going to a wedding. When you think about a wedding, what words come to your mind? You may think of love. You may think of people. You may think of relationships and friendships. But a wedding should be joyful. One of those words that you should associate with a wedding is one of celebration. And that is how he came to faith. So he truly came to faith in Jesus Christ because of joy. And when we think about joy, joy is not an incidental or accidental byproduct of the Christian faith. Joy is not primarily a happy feeling. Joy is actually vital to the Christian faith. It is an essential component to it. So when we think about joy this morning, we're not thinking about the, our natural disposition or our natural personalities because some of us are people who are just naturally upbeat and some of us are, are actually just naturally unsatisfied. And so that is not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about our natural dispositions. And, and Jesus' call, God's call for us to rejoice is, to, is made to every single one of us. But what we are thinking about this morning is actually the disposition of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is working within our lives. That's the disposition of joy. And this disposition of joy is something that we need to pursue, is something that we need to pray for. And if we would keep reading in Philippians 4, verse 9, we would actually see this is something that we need to learn as well. Joy is something that is meant to be pursued. It's something that is meant to be learned. And so when Paul is asking this question to the church in Galatia, he says, what has happened to your joyful spirits? There is an assumption that Paul is making about the church. The assumption is that the church is meant to be joyful. As Christians, as individual Christians, we are meant to be joyful because of Christ. And when we don't have that, something is wrong. Because what Paul knows and what we're going to be looking today is that joy is rooted in the happiness of God. And the reality is, friends, you delight God. You delight God. This is a wonderful truth that we struggle to believe. We really struggle to believe this. And one of the reasons why we struggle with joy is that we fundamentally believe that there's something else that we need in order to delight God. That is one reason why we struggle with joy. We believe that we need something else in addition to Jesus to delight God. That's actually what the entire book of Galatians is about. That you cannot do anything to make God love you more, nor can you do anything to make God love you less. But joy is also scary. This is another reason why we struggle with joy. That joy is scary. In this sinful, fallen world, joy is risky. It's vulnerable. In fact, we avoid it. Think about that. We avoid joy. We avoid joy. And the absence of joy for a follower of Jesus Christ is a problem. And so here's our quote for reflection within your worship guide on just the inside part of it. It's from Tish Harrison Warren. And many of you know she's my favorite writer. 
But this is what she wrote in her book, Prayer in the Night. She writes this, So I trick myself into believing that if I do not take up joy or celebration, that maybe, just maybe, it won't hurt so much when grief rises like the tide. I hedge my bets, wait for the other shoe to drop, and protect myself from pain by avoiding the wonder and beauty before me. I try to shield myself from disappointment by not embracing joy. Do you, you see this? That joy is risky and it's vulnerable. But joy is actually not about denial. Joy is not about ignoring the problems of the world or pretending that suffering does not exist. Joy actually takes the misery of sin in seriously. And joy looks at the misery of sin within this world and defiantly hopes that all things will work together for the good of God's people. That joy defiantly takes Jesus seriously when he says, behold, I'm making all things new. So as we think more further about joy, we have, some, we have three things that we want to think about today. And this is in your worship guide, and it's our, our outline, where we think about defining joy, faking joy, and cultivating joy. So let's first think about defining joy. Because if this is something that we're going to be, if joy is something we're going to be full of, this is something that we need to understand what it is and define it so that we can pursue it. See, when Paul's asking the Galatian Christians, what has happened to your joyful spirit? He's pointing out that the expectation that we should be joyful. And he makes this even more clear for us here in Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. But this expectation that we as God's people is not a new thing because of Jesus. This was actually an expectation that God has had of his people since the dawn of time. Consider Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, verses 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here is this wonderful picture that God is the source of joy and that God's people can know this joy when they know Him. But there's also a definition here as we think about joy. A definition here. Because joy is delighting and joy is having pleasure in the presence of God. Joy is delighting in the presence of God. So when we think about joy, joy fundamentally has to do with our relationship with God. We, are, we know him and we are connected to him. So Henry Nowen put it this way, that joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, no sickness, no failure, no emotional distress, no oppression, no war, nor death, can take away that unconditional love whatsoever. This is, the this is what joy is. That our joy is grounded in our relationship with God. And because of Jesus, Paul boasts in, in Romans 8, nothing can take us away from God. And so Jesus actually endured the shame of the cross. This is from what Hebrews tells us. Why did Jesus endure the shame of the cross? 
It was for the joy set before him. So what's the joy that Jesus had set before him? It's you. Jesus endured the shame of the cross so that he could have life with you. That he could bring you into the presence of the Father. And this is the newness of life that the Spirit gives to us. That joy comes with the newness of life that the Holy Spirit births within our hearts. And the resurrection is the sure hope that we built on. That we build our lives on the sure hope of the resurrection. Hope is a part of joy there. And so there, like as we just think about this, that joy is real. It is tangible because we are united to Christ. Because we are connected to God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so we cannot lose this relationship. It's re- joy is real. It is tangible. It's sure regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our expectations. So when we think about joy, we need to remind ourselves of this wonderful, beautiful reality that Paul is in right here. Paul is in prison when he is writing these words in Philippians 4. Rejoice, I say, I will say this again, rejoice is written from a jail cell. It's written when Paul is arrested. And Philippians is not the only book of the Bible that Paul wrote while he was in in prison. But the point that I'm making is that the joy that we have supersedes any circumstances you may find yourself in. That the joy that you have cannot be lost because of suffering. Joy, your joy cannot be stolen from you because you have life with God. And so as we think about what joy is, it's also worth, very quickly, it's worth it to think about what is the complete opposite of joy. Because as we, we do this in order to understand what we need to pursue. But it's not what you may expect. The opposite of joy is not sadness. The opposite of joy is not grief in any way, shape, or form. And it's the Hebrew poet really actually understood this in a sense. And this was the prayer of of adoration, that joy comes in the morning. That sorrow can actually bring joy. And Jesus taught us in, in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And this is actually very encouraging to us because, friends, we go through sufferings. We go through trials. We go through hardship. That defines our life. When we live on this side of glory before we, we, have, before die, we die or before Jesus returns, when we live on this side of glory, our lives will be defined by hardship. And yet we can be joyful people. And so what's the opposite of joy? It's actually despair. Despair says nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to change. It's hopelessness. And it's very closely related to cynicism, where cynicism says nothing will, nothing will change, nothing good will happen, nor can it possibly happen. This is the cynical air that we breathe within our culture. And so when we think about, just, just as we think about the absence of joy, the absence of joy should actually deeply concern us because the absence of joy is a sign that God is absent. 
The absence of joy reveals a problem. And so the sinful world that we live in makes joy hard. And, it actually, and the sinful world that we live in makes despair easy. Just in, as in a few moment, moments we'll consider what it looks like to cultivate joy, we can actually cultivate despair. And some ways that we cultivate despair is through both being anxious and also loneliness. And Paul speaks to this when he says, do not be anxious about anything. See, anxiety can lead you to despair because anxiety takes you out of a present moment. Anxiety makes you think that you're not going to be okay. Anxiety makes you think that something can separate you from the love of God. That something can separate you from the one who provides for you. And so this is actually what the entire book of Galatians is about. That in order to be right with God, then you would have to be a super Christian, a super spiritual person. These Galatians started to think all the time. They started to wonder all the time. Be anxious all the time. Am I enough? Have I done enough? Do I eat the right things? Do I wear the right clothes? Do I love my neighbor enough? And so on. And frankly, friends, the, the resounding answer is no. We don't do anything enough. That's why Jesus went to the cross to die for us. But if when we have our anxious hearts like that, where Paul goes is that you'll bite and devour one another and condemn each other because you'll be saying that you are not enough. So anxiety can actually cultivate despair. Another thing that can cultivate despair is loneliness because we need community. We need friends. We need a family to help ground us in the gospel. So loneliness can clearly steal our joy. And so when we think about this definition of joy that we have, of delighting in the presence of God, when we think about this, joy and despair are clearly opposites. It's black and white. And if we see despair in our lives, like we know guilt, we'll feel shame, and, and it's clear to us that we need to uproot these things from our life. But what's truly insidious are the things that we mistake as joy because there are things in our life that are fake joy there this is the false fruits and so let's this is going to the second point of faking joy because far too often we base our joy on circumstances but this is not true joy this is not contentment because it's completely circumstantial this is circumstantial happiness and the reality of the brokenness and sorrow and suffering and conflict and discord, discord that we feel define this world. And so you come home from a hard day at work. What do you do to feel better? You bomb a test. You don't get into your first choice for school. You're fighting with your spouse. You have an estranged relationship. What do you do to feel better? To feel good? To have pleasure? To define your life? We use things to help us feel good. And we turn to these very normal, ordinary things like tasty food, rich wine, likes on social media, new material things, alcohol, sugar, drugs, pornography. We turn to these things to feel good. And here's some wisdom from Jim Carrey. 
I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see that is not the answer. You don't just have to take Jim Carrey's word for it. They're um, forgetting his name. He was a ruler of the 16th century Cordova um, in Europe, part of Spain. And he ruled for almost 70 years. And as he ruled for 70 years, he had it all. He had the power, he had success, he had wealth, and much more. And yet he wrote that he was only half, across those 70 years, if you would, he, he put it this way, how many days would you expect him to be happy out of that 70-year reign in life? And he wrote down it was maybe only 16 days. We, we live in a world that actually acknowledges the bankruptcy of wealth and success and power, that these things cannot satisfy us, but we still pursue them. We, still, we look to these things to, to, feel ha- to feel good and be happy about, but they are empty and they crush others. So as you think about yourself as a parent, as a parent, you'll never, this is one, what one friend said to me, as a parent, you will never be happier than your least happy child. If your happiness is dependent upon your child's happiness, then we as parents are placing an unbearable burden on them that is impossible for them to carry and it will crush them. And the same is true for your marriage, for your spouse, because your spouse cannot carry the burden of your happiness. They're not meant to. And the same is true for your work. Your work cannot provide the happiness and the pleasure and the delights that you are longing for. Because none of these things, from our children to our marriage to our relationships and work and anything else in between, or anything else, none of those things are meant to be the source of your joy. Only God is meant to be the source of your joy. This is the hard reality that we need to acknowledge because faking joy, we fake joy all the time, that we need all these things in order to be happy. And we'll always be disappointed. We will always be disappointed because the, the one rule of this world is that everything will break. And we see this within our bodies as we grow old, that our fitness declines. This is just a reality. Because when we look to all these normal, ordinary things to be the source of our joy, to be the foundation for our happiness and and pleasure, that's idolatry. And that idolatry is going to rob you, is going to rob you of joy. And so this is going to our words of assurance, and this is from Psalm 32, that this is actually something that's very important for us to recognize because sin will rob you of your joy. And what David points out is that when I confess my transgressions to the Lord, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy. Because sin is what actually steals our joy. And our fake joy, our circumstantial happiness, will steal our joy from us. And so when we're not able to identify this fake joy, it's a tragedy because it will rob you 
of your ultimate joy, the work, your work, marriage, parenting, fitness, food, and drink should actually bring you joy when it's in your when it's in their appropriate place and order within your life. Because those, all those things are good gifts from God the Father who loves you. But all those good gifts, they can never be the ultimate source of your joy. And so as we move into our third point, God wants you to be joyful. And so we need to consider what it looks like for us to cultivate joy. How do we grow in joy? So Nowen, Henry Nowen again. Jo- Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Henry Nowen again. Joy is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing can take God away from us. So here, Nowen's thinking about this discipline of joy. That joy is a choice that's based in the sure, unchangeable knowledge that we are loved by God. And so friends, as we are thinking about joy this morning, it would be a big mistake if I did not say this, but do not leave here this morning and beat yourself up for not being a joyful person, for not being joyful. Because Every single one of us struggle with and we wrestle with the lack of joy in our lives, regardless of our natural disposition. But instead, this is actually about an invitation to have life with God. How can we cultivate this life with God that he is promising to us that's going to be marked and defined of joy? Because this is actually about life with Jesus, and being full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's working in you and will lead you to joy. So don't leave here this morning and beat yourself up because that does not happen naturally nor easily. And so as we think about cultivating joy, Tish Harrison Warren, last time, she writes this, that joy is a muscle we can strengthen with exercise. So what are some joy exercises that we can use to cultivate joy? The first step to cultivating joy in our lives is actually gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude helps us experience a more consistent walk with God. It is the on-ramp to joy. See, gratitude resists comparison. And it was Teddy Roosevelt who said that comparison is the thief of joy. Gratitude resists comparison. And my mother is actually one of the most joyful people that I know. And she has a gratitude journal where at the end of every day, she'll write down things that she is joyful, thankful for. She'll write down prayer requests. Then she'll write down how God answered those, those prayer requests. So cultivate gratitude in your life. Gratitude is the on-ramp to joy. Perhaps a gratitude journal like that would be helpful to you. Another thing to point out about cultivating joy is actually the church. Paul says to the the Philippian church that the church, the Philippians, are his crown and joy. 
So Paul is pointing to the, the church of Jesus Christ and says, you are my joy. So ask yourself, is the church, is this not just the idea of the church, but is this physical congregation a delight to you? Because friends, you should be a source of joy to one another, and I know that you are. And this church is not just a gathering of acquaintances or friends, even as we think of friends. But that this church, the church, is meant to be a community that longs to see one another become more like Jesus Christ. And the church is a family that wants to see the fruit of the Spirit grow and shine in our lives. So when you look at one another, do you celebrate the fruit of the Spirit in each other's lives? It was Mark Twain who wrote, To get the full value of joy, you must have someone to divide it with. Think about that. To get the full value of joy, you must have someone to divide it with. See, friends, joy needs to be shared. Good food is tastier when you share it with someone. Good drink is better with someone else. Happy hour is happier when you're with someone And so if we actually neglect community, if we neglect community, we will be neglecting the cultivation of joy in our life. If we stop reaching out to others, if we stop deepening our friendships with one another, if we stop pursuing community, we will lose joy. And so here, and Paul even continues in a similar way, it's not just community. He goes into Philippians 4, 9. He tells the Philippian church to learn these things from him. He's in prison, and he's boasting and delighting in God. And Paul would say this something similar in other books. He would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So as you look around yourself, specifically within the church, who are the joyful people in your life? Go to them and ask them about how they themselves cultivate joy and imitate them. And then lastly, the last way to cultivate joy is actually by focusing. And this is going to be Philippians 4.8, which we did not read. But this is what Paul says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, here Paul is actually telling us to focus our minds on these things. Do you look at beauty and recognize it as beautiful? Do you respond to feelings of awe by worship? Do you set your minds on Jesus Christ? As you look at one another, do you celebrate the glimpses of Christ in one another? Paul says to focus on these things. Because what we are after as a church, as the people of God, is cultivating Christ-likeness in one another. And by focusing on these things, by filling our mind with the promises of God, by being in God's Word, by being in His community, and encouraging one another as we all are pursuing Jesus, we actually cultivate joy with one another. 
Because at the end of the day, one of the, the fundamental thing that we need to recognize about this is that Jesus' heart is one of joy. And it was that the face of the Father, it was about being in the presence of the Father that enabled him to endure the shame of the cross. But it wasn't just that. He wanted you and I to be brought in and reconciled to God the Father so that we together would have life for the rest of our days and the rest of of time. That Jesus' heart of joy is one that he seeks to share with you that he wants all of us to share in that joy and to grow in that joy. And that's something that the Holy Spirit does and will do within our hearts. Let's seek to encourage one another and cultivate this joy together. Let's pray.